This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Bad. We are discussing today the penultimate, as opposed to the anti-penultimate, right, Josh? Uh, the yeah, penultimate, the, the real term. That's right. The penultimate series, uh, the penultimate episode in the series. This is season five, episode fifteen, Granite State. And as I already mentioned, already brought him in, Josh Goldman, my perpetual co-host. We are almost there, Josh. How does it feel to be fifty meters from the finish line? I mean, I have to say, like, I was getting pretty excited, like, watching these last couple episodes. You know, I have not. I think I mentioned this on another another podcast in this back half of this this season i have not revisited any of season five since i watched it in 2013 when it was airing i think i'd I'd watched a couple from other seasons here and there and so you know some things that happen you know in these episodes was was kind of crazy to me so uh, i believe in this episode we we have todd who breaks into the the white household and he threatened Skyler. I did not remember that that happened. So it was like as shocking as it was the first time. So these kinds of things are exciting to me to rewatch. And I, I feel like pretty accomplished that we're going to complete this rewatch podcast. I feel like we've, you know, posited a lot of interesting things and we've had fun along the way as well. And so I'm excited to, to knock out these last two episodes. Could not agree more. And I think there's something weird about how maybe weird is the wrong word, but Ozymandias is such a action-packed, memorable episode. I mean, I think every person who's ever seen Breaking Bad knows exactly, they might not remember the exact name of the episode, but if you say the episode where Hank dies out in the desert, yeah, they know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And so there's this weird kind of effect where like few people remember the details of Granite State and same with Felinas. And they might remember like the very last shootout where Walt kind of finally gets his due, gives, gives, the due to uncle Jack and gets his comeuppance all at the same time. But apart from that, like it's all, it's all kind of a big blur. And so I had the same experience that you did. I mean, I've seen this show through before, but some of the things in Granite State and Felinas, I'm just like, Oh, I totally forgot that that happened. Uh, wow. It's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of interesting how Ozymandias kind of does that to you. Yeah. And I think I said this on our podcast about Ozymandias, but I really like Granite State. And I think that I, I like Granite State a lot more than I like the, the series finale. I think at the time, if you were to have asked me right after Felina had aired, you know, did you like the final episode? I would have said they did a great job wrapping it up, which I still think is mostly the case. We'll talk about that in the final episode of the, the podcast, or at least the one before our, our wrap up. But I really like Granite State. It's a little bit more s- slow moving, but I think it has a lot, um, a lot of good moments. And I really like, I mean, you, you had put this in our notes. We're not going to touch on it too much, but I really like the change of scenery. I, I really think it just does some. It's like a, a breath of fresh air for the not just the character of Walt going to, you know, a t- completely new state and, and it's surrounded by snow, but it's also for the viewer. I mean, we're used to seeing all of these desert scenes. We're used to seeing all of this like arid landscape. And now we're in a completely different place. And maybe it's just me personally, like really like liking the blanket of snow on everything. But I really it hit me a little bit differently watching it this time. Yeah. Well, you just said something there that maybe remember, I wanted to mention this to our listeners. You said our next episode, the last episode, or, or at least the last episode of the season 
And so we're going to do one more episode that's obviously going to be our normal episode deep dive. And then the plan is we're going to do one episode after that that just kind of wraps up the whole show and we'll talk about some sort of higher level things. We'll do some other fun things too, like picking our favorite kind of non-major character in the show and things like that. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll, We'll release that next week and that'll wrap Breaking Pod, the podcast series. But we also, I think, might, uh, I guess Josh and I haven't really talked about this, but we've got another podcast idea in the works here, and we want to talk to you about that a little bit as well so that you can know kind of what to expect uh, from us in 2021. So we've got some other plans uh, to branch out beyond Breaking Pod, uh, and we'll we'll tell you more about that in that final episode as well. Uh, but with that said, let's go ahead and dive into what is now the 30-second summary. This one might be a little longer. And uh, if you have not seen Granite State in a while and like us, you forgot what was in it, uh, let's let's uh, just review it here, courtesy of Wikipedia. Assisted by Saul's contact, Ed, Walt relocates to a cabin in New Hampshire, and Saul leaves for Nebraska. After being interrogated by the DEA, Skyler is threatened by Todd not to talk about Lydia. Jesse tries to escape from the Aryan Brotherhood's compound, but is caught. As punishment, Jesse is taken to Andrea's house in a van and forced to watch Todd murder her. Walt calls Walter Jr. from a payphone in a bar. But Walter Jr. gets enraged and hangs up the phone after telling his father that he should just die. Walt then calls the DEA to turn himself in. While sitting at the bar, Walt watches Charlie Rose interview Elliot and Gretchen. When Rose asks about their connection to Walter White, both deny that Walter has any serious claim to or history with gray matter. The police soon encircle the bar, but Walt has already left. Josh, what grade do you give this summary? Yeah, this is this is pretty good. I guess it, it definitely covers all the major points. Uh, I think, you know, as I mentioned in sort of like the the intro part, this doesn't really capture the change of pace or the change of feeling that the episode provides with this completely new setting. So I think other than that, it's mostly fine. I mean, it definitely covers bullet points of what happens. I would say maybe C plus. B minus something like that, teetering on the edge. Yeah, I think that's right. I would I would agree with you. I mean, hits all the high points. As we've said, these are these are not art forms, so they're not written very well, and they don't right. capture all the drama that's going in. But I think you're I right; will, it hits the high points. I will say we we might need a little bit more. You know, if you have not, especially if you're you're taking your time in watching these, you might need a little bit more in a in a summary about Elliot and Gretchen. Because we haven't heard from them since, I believe, season one or two. I mean, I know that Walt, maybe it's season two, he goes to the birthday party. It could be season one. I can't remember at this point. But he goes to their birthday party, and that's the last we hear from them. So we could use a hyperlink. I mean, we get a hyperlink to Charlie Rose here, Mm, but not to Elliot and Gretchen. So maybe a little bit more context here would help. I will also add that the Charlie Rose stuff does not age well, of course, because Charlie Rose went down for... Um, either sexual assault or harassment issues. I think it was, I I don't want to misspeak, but it was one of the two. And so he is no longer in the public eye. uh, And it was one of these classic stories where, you know, basically everyone knew it was going on and no one did anything about it. So Charlie Rose's appearance here, it's a real cameo. It really is Charlie Rose who plays this role. And I like that from its realism perspective. Like it looks like, it looks like uh, Gretchen and Elliot are being interviewed by Charlie Rose. Um, And so it feels very real, but uh, the, the appearance of Charlie Rose on that did not age well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. All right, well, let's go to trivia and bloopers. I've got a few things here. So the ringer, we, we like to refer to the ringers list, says this is number seven. So Josh, you're in good company, liking this episode a lot. This is also the only episode that plays the entire theme song 
Uh, I couldn't, I, I did not independently verify this. This was on IMDb and I did not go back and rewatch every single episode to make sure the entire theme song did not appear elsewhere. But I think that's it right. Sounds right. Yeah, it does. It sounds right. And I mean, as you're watching this and that theme song comes on at the end and then plays all the way through the credits, you're like, oh, this, this feels very different from, from anything I've seen before. Um, yeah. This is also uh, kind of amazing. And we'll talk more about this scene later, but in the Charlie Rose interview, he mentions a column by Andrew Ross Sorkin. And if you look, um, if you look on the New York Times site, they actually have this parody column that was written by Andrew Ross Sorkin or ghostwritten for him by the, the studio. And then they published under his byline. And it's an article all about Gretchen and Elliot and Grey Matter and their former partner, Walter White, who broke bad and, and baked man, methamphetamine. It's pretty, pretty fun. So that is actually a real article on the New York Times, um, obviously just as like, you know, parody for the, for the purpose of the show. It's just a big gag. But I will put the link to that article in the show notes if you want to check that out. Uh, another fun thing, when Saul and Walt are in the basement of the dis- the disappearer, as call- as uh, Saul calls him, but Ed, the vacuum cleaner guy who relocates them, Saul says something to the effect of, look, best case scenario for me is that, you know, X years from now, I'm the manager of a Cinnabon in Omaha. <laughs> and it's hilarious because if you've seen Better Call Saul, you know that's exactly what happens. In fact, the very beginning of Better Call Saul, the pilot opens with this extended montage of a man who turns out to be Saul Goodman uh, working in a Cinnabon. Uh, and he's like, you know, you see all the the cooking and the blending, and then you see him kind of clean up at the end of the day, et cetera. So Saul indeed does get his uh, manager job at the Cinnabon. Um, Josh, I also found this interesting review from IMDb. This is from September 2013. And your uh, the, the favorability index of Granite State, this episode for you, reminded me of this user review. I'm just going to read an excerpt of it. This person says, this is, I think, my sixth review of a Breaking Bad episode. I have to say it is one of the most difficult tasks ever. There are so many thoughts racing through my head, theories, losses, and tense moments. I try to keep it as vague as possible, but frankly, I'm beginning to run out of ideas. The sheer shock after every single episode of this brilliant series is close to unbearable. The searing intensity that makes your heart race like crazy just gets me every time. I wish there was a higher rating than 10 out of 10 for this episode, but there isn't. So I guess it's 100% from me. So. Josh, this person votes 10 out of 10 for this episode, and they gave it a 100% star. Uh, on IMDb, the system is, it's a 10-star system, and they gave it, of course, 10 stars. So do you does that resonate with you, Josh? I know you're a big fan of this episode. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's 10 stars. I mean, it's definitely very, very good. And it's interesting, if you, if you put this review in context, this review was written the day after the episode aired, so this person had not yet seen the series finale. I think that, first of all, I think that this episode um, ages well with time. So I think that uh, that actually works in this person's favor. But I think it's interesting that part of what he really liked, or he or she, I don't know, it doesn't in- indicate here. But I think what they really liked about it was that the, everybody still wondered at this point when it aired, what was going to happen to Walter? What was going to happen to his family? What was going to happen to Jesse? And it, it's hard to put yourself in those shoes you know, now that we know sort of the outcome and it's been out for years and years and years, but there really was no indication how this show was going to end. I mean, people have their theories. It didn't leak out as far as I know ahead of time. I think there was very much so like what's going to happen at the end of the show. Yeah, I think you're right about that. They they kept the lid on pretty tight and, you know, no one knew exactly which direction they were going to go with the ending. Um, let's dive into some of our scene selections here, Josh. I think for purpose of for the purpose of going chronologically, 
let's actually start with your best scene and then we'll pivot to best writing and then we'll talk about my best writing best scene which really are kind of combined so i'll start with you what is your best scene nomination when I was going through this episode, I, I had a, a little bit of trouble like finding. I mean, a lot of these scenes sort of like run on for extended periods of time. Yeah. So it's a little hard to like pick exactly what's the best scene. I think if I were to say like cumulatively, I like all of the scenes with Walt in in the granite state. I like that change of scene, but that that encompasses a lot of different things. So for the purposes of picking one thing in particular, I picked this scene between Walt and Saul. And so we'll hear a little bit of their conversation and then I'll explain why I think that's the best one. I hate to be a downer here, but there are two DEA agents missing, presumed dead. You think the feds are gonna just let that go because you hit the ejector seat? First thing they're gonna do, they will Rico your wife and kids out of the house. That condo is gone. Your bank accounts, they're frozen. Her picture's probably on TV right now, next to yours. Who's gonna hire her? Money's no problem. Well, I don't mean to contradict you, but getting it to her, impossible. What I really like about the scene, I mean, this goes on for several minutes of their back and forth, and finally Ed, the disappearer, tries to interject, and then he gives him some more time, and the scene ultimately ends with Walt attempting to threaten Saul to say, look, you have to help me. If you don't help me, there will be consequences. And then Walt sort of dissolves into this coughing fit. And you're reminded that this is a really sick man, not just morally, which we know, but like physically as well. His cancer is back and it's not going very well for him. And what I like about the scene is that this is another this is this is a perfect indication of where Walt as a character is because he is trying to keep this persona of Heisenberg, you know, that he's in charge, that he knows what's going on. He can make things happen. He's rich. He can take care of his family. And yet, if you look at the circumstances, he's stuck in the basement of a vacuum repair shop, which looks like a bunker. And he really cannot hold his own against anybody anymore. Like he completely fades against Saul due to his physical coughing fit. But also he just doesn't understand the severity of the situation he's in. I mean, if you look at it, he's like, money's no problem. And Saul, who's been in this business a lot longer than Walt has, says, well, actually, it is a problem. He goes on to explain how Mike, who is a very savvy person when it came to all of this, could never even get the money that he'd earned to his granddaughter. And so I just really like how this scene, without telling us that, you know, again, on its face, that Heisenberg is no more, it just really shows you in this dialogue between the two of them. Yeah, and I also like, you, you kind of pointed this out, right? But when Ed has to walk in on them and try to and make sure they're okay, you know, it's almost like an old married couple bickering. Yeah. And so this, what we're really seeing is like kind of an acrimonious divorce. And they're literally going to go their separate ways, Saul to Nebraska and Walt to New Hampshire. And they're never going to see each other again. That's something we didn't mention in the trivia for this episode, but this is the last appearance of... Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad. He is not in Felinas, the final final episode. Um, and so we're seeing we're seeing the divorce play out right in front of our eyes. Yeah, and I and I like that this is a, it seems like an appropriate exit for Saul. So I like that he kind of goes out on a high note and then he gets his his due in in Better Call Saul. Well, let's pivot now to your best writing nomination. I will play this right now. This precedes my best writing, best scene nomination. I'll play this and then we'll talk about it. Stand. Son, 
Can you hear me? Do you understand? You want to send money. You killed Uncle Hank! You killed him! Wait, wait, son. No, please. what you did to mom, you asshole! You killed Uncle Hank! Listen to me, you've got to listen Just to me. Just shut up! Just stop it! Stop Stop it! So what I really like about this, I, I couldn't in good conscience choose it as my best scene because... Unfortunately, Walt Jr. That's a, now, I knew now, look, you were going he, with that. He is not as bad as he has been. And I think you mentioned this. You teased it in the last uh, podcast episode. This is some of his better work. I mean, it's not terrible. No, I, I think you're it, right. This is his best scene in the series, in my opinion. Yeah, it's still not great. And again, like compared to the the absolute master class that Brian Cranston is putting on, it just doesn't quite hold a candle. Again, we talked about last episode might not necessarily be his fault. So I'll give him a pass on that. But what I really like about this in terms of the writing is it really just shows like we know that Walt is a bad man. We know that he has made tons and tons of mistakes, that he's morally bankrupt at this point. But they're still able to write a scene here where you feel for him as a parent that he's really, really emotional about his child here. And to watch him break down when when Walt Jr. completely rejects him is just, it's very truthful in, in what it's saying. And that's why I appreciate it as best writing. So that's why I picked that. Yeah, I also love that it's best writing. I mean, the, the part that we couldn't play just for the sake of time after... Walt Jr. starts to say, like, you killed Uncle Hank, how could you, et cetera, and what you did to mom, et cetera. Um, after that, Walt says something like, it can't all be for nothing, please, please. And that's what we're thinking, too, as we're watching this, right? Like, look at this absolutely broken man, like you said, Josh. He's a very sick man. He's a very broken man. He's done all of these things ostensibly for his family, and now he's really left with nothing. His wife, uh, Ed tells him, right, that his wife is um, living in a... A small place that she got, not their old house, et cetera. And this is, he, she's not living large. She's got, she has to get a, a part-time job to make ends meet, et cetera. This is not the future he envisioned for his family. And now his own son is rejecting the, the help that he's offering. Um, and that was just a really powerful thing. And of course it ends with the whole, why don't you just die? I mean, I cannot imagine hearing that from your own child. Yeah. Um, I, I also really like the line that you, that we heard at the beginning of that clip, which is, I wanted to give you so much more. And there's so much unfortunate irony in that because had he just been a, a real father to to Walt Jr., that would have been so much more than money could have ever been for their family. Yeah, good point. You know, if he had really tried to be a loving husband and a good father and, a, and an attentive parent and, and husband, then this could have all been avoided. And yet he's talking specifically about the money, but I think there's a subtext there that He's also talking about, you know, we're supposed to read into that, that there were so there were so many other options he had and he chose the worst one. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about it that way, but you're right. Well, so right after this is my best scene, best writing nomination. And yes, I did cheat because I really kind of mashed together my best writing and best scene. But it's really this whole bar scene. So you already called out the phone call between Walt and Walt Jr. Just wonderful writing there. I think that's a great nomination for best writing. Um, 
and I actually had the had the same nomination, but in the interest of having something else, I I shifted it once I saw that you had selected this. But I love the whole bar scene in general. He goes to the bar, and this is I think lost on a lot of viewers, but in my in my half-ass internet research, I learned this. He orders a dimple pinch, which is a type of scotch whiskey, I believe. Not a liquor guy, really. But um, the interesting thing is that is Mike's drink of choice. And as you'll recall, we've talked before about how Walt takes on the habits of people he killed uh, or kills. So he uh, orders a dimple pinch, which itself is a uh, throw, uh, you know, kind of a callback for the viewer to his killing of Mike. But then beyond that, you know, he's sitting there thinking about things and then he's watching the TV there. And that's when the. Um, Gretchen Elliott interview comes on and this is where this is what I selected for my best writing and it just fits so well into this whole scene I think I have to believe that the the investing public understands we're talking about a person who, who was there early on but who had virtually nothing to do with the creation of the company and still less to do with growing it into what it is today so what was Walter White's contribution you know to be honest honey the company name company name we came up with it by combining our names uh, schwartz means black black plus white makes gray it's gray matter technologies exactly as far as i can recall his contribution begins and ends right there there are continuing reports of blue methamphetamine considered his signature product throughout the southwest and some evidence of reaching as far as europe so my question is is walter white still out there no he's not you sound very sure. I am. I, I, I can't speak to this Heisenberg that, that, that people refer to, but whatever, whatever he became, the, the sweet, kind, brilliant man that we once knew long ago, he's gone. But to be absolutely clear, All right, so I played a really long excerpt there. Um, sorry if that was too long, but I, I, mean, I like it was your best scene and best ready. Exactly. So, so I, I had double the time. You got double the time. Yeah. Double the, time. <laughs> so, uh, the thing I like about all that one, there's there's a lot packed into the writing itself. So from a writing standpoint, the fact that Gretchen and Elliot are illustrating how one, the only thing Walt ever did was come up with the name or help them come up with the name black plus white equals gray, and that he was not at all involved in the formative chemical work for which their company is now known that is a devastating claim to walt's ego and you can see him just be infuriated while he's sitting there but second and more importantly i think gretchen and we still don't know we still don't understand the full backstory of what happened between him and gretchen but based on what we saw in season one we can be pretty confident there was some sort of romantic involvement with him and gretchen that started to get out of hand and he realized i can't work here anymore left gray matter etc and now it's gretchen who says that Walter White is not around anymore. And when Charlie Rose presses her on that, she says, well, I can't speak for this Heisenberg man, but the Walter White that we knew, you know, the sweet, loving Walter White, he's gone forever. And of course she's right. Like, that's the great irony here. She's absolutely right. But somehow that makes Walt even more infuriated. And so he, you know, sets off to prove her wrong by really proving her right, I guess. But uh, that's remarkable. And then I also just love the sound editing here. I mean, you hear the music actually start very early on in that scene. Uh, we're hearing some sort of percussive beats for the theme start about a full minute before the full theme actually gets going. Um, and then the way the whole scene is staged, 
the music's going while the cops are showing up. And then when they do show up, they see a, a half half consumed uh, glass of dimple pinch and an empty napkin and no Walter White. Yeah, I, I really like this as well. And I, I love that they use this sort of device to to provide information to a character. The one thing I wanted to ask you, this could just be my like harebrained conspiracy theory stuff going off here. I, I do believe that he was actually watching a real Charlie Rose interview. What I want to ask you is, is there any element of it that you think is only in his mind? Because if you think about, if you like watch what, how Charlie Rose is conducting the interview, it seems very natural at first. He's asking about the company. Then of course he does ask about Walter White because there have been rumors like, oh, wasn't he involved? But then he asks like, I've heard, I've heard mention that, you know, we hear at the end that this blue meth is still out there. Is Walter White really gone? And now to your point, like the writing of that can be read in a very, very literal way, which is like, is this person who you knew still out there? But I, I tend to think about it is like, maybe it could also be interpreted as like, do you still have contact with him? Are you still aware that he's out there cooking meth? In which case, I think that that could be sort of like an interpretation that's only in his head. And if you notice, like we don't actually see the TV screen when that question's being asked. We only see the very end of that. Now, this could just be like totally me, like wrapping my head around something that's not really there. But part of me thinks that Walt is hearing what he wants to hear because after he sees the initial thing where they're saying, actually, this guy wasn't involved at all, he then needs to have a reason to go back and essentially take revenge on them in in whatever way he can, which we'll see the resolution of in the next episode. Is this totally crazy? I mean, we're we're now 61 episodes into our podcast of this show. So, you know, we've we've gone down this road before, but this may be the craziest thing I've I've posited. Well, it's it's so it's not actually that crazy, I don't think. I'm not sure if I totally agree with it in this instance, but I'm I'm the one remember who suggested that perhaps the fly wasn't real in the whole episode fly, right? So the the possibility of Walt completely imagining like even an entire antagonist is not, I think, too crazy. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe you're right. Like maybe what we're viewing is not actually any sort of objective reality, but it's reality as filtered through Walter White. So we see Charlie Rose and we hear Charlie Rose answering his, asking his questions, but maybe all we're doing is seeing it through Walt's perspective, through Walt's lens. So yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a real interview going on, et cetera, but the way that Walt is understanding it and the way that it's being filtered to, through to us could be very well through the eyes of Walter White. I think part of it too is that he he's uh, you know under the impression that he's ready to give himself up. Like he's sitting at the bar, he's already called the DEA, basically told them where he was. But I feel like there's a part of him at some point when he's sitting there, maybe after he's had a couple drinks of the uh, of the drink that he's that he's purchased, that maybe he's having second thoughts, and so he needs a reason whether it's actually this real Charlie Rose interview or whether it's a part of his imagination or whatever it is to sort of backtrack on that and say, actually, I need a reason to to go back and figure this out. And maybe the beginning of the interview was truthful, you know, in terms of like what was actually uh, happening. But I, I feel like part of it could be in his head, at least at the end. So that's just my my sort of harebrained theory. No, I like that. Well, let's go to best moment, Josh. You've got a pretty powerful one, and this is one of the ones that I actually forgot about until I watched Granite State again, and then I realized, oh yeah. my goodness, I, I, this happens. This is terrible. Yeah, he's okay. Actually, I brought him with me 
Jesse's here? Yeah, he's right over there in that truck. Just so you know, this isn't personal. I mean, just like the utter anguish in Jesse's, you know, face and his voice. I mean, the acting here is is truly remarkable by Aaron Paul. I mean, like, I don't think we should underestimate how difficult something like that is because he's reacting to something that's not actually happening, but he's he's really fully in character here. But you know, I think this this scene, obviously, as we've talked about recently, like our best moments are not necessarily like the most fun moments, but they're certainly some of the most powerful ones. And and this is just like it's just adding to the the truly horrible situation that Jesse finds himself in. I mean, he's a captive of these horrendous neo-Nazi characters and he's attempted to escape. And now really one of the only few people he cares about is now being killed and this is one of those like really sadistic moments by todd where you're like actually this guy despite on the surface seeming like he could be an okay person like this is one of those reminders that he's just as bad if not worse than some of the other uncle jack crew members and i just feel like it's just so i mean we we talked in the last episode like well maybe this is the worst it'll get for for jesse but this is another example of like it's just continuing to get worse and worse. And throughout this episode, we see we don't see the passage of time, but we sort of get the sense that there's a passage of time of maybe three to six months. I don't know exactly how much, but Walt sort of goes through the newspaper when Ed brings him some supplies. And you get a sense that there's a passage of time. So Jesse has been dealing with this, like having to cook for these people, having to be in this cage for so long. And you just sort of feel you really it's like one of those moments where you can actually feel the anguish of the character coming through the screen. And so that's how, you know, it's a truly powerful moment. You're absolutely right that we see Todd be so like crazy, for lack of a better word. I mean, just this is it's not even borderline psychopathic. This is straight up psychopathic, how he can like smile and lay on the charm and then just shoot someone in the back of the head. And Andrea is the definition of an innocent bystander who has tried yeah. to do good. I was going to say that too. She's she's one of the only people we've seen who's who's gotten killed off in the show that truly did nothing wrong. I mean, she's she's had her problems in the past, but certainly nothing on the level of deserving anything like this. Right. I mean, we saw Mike die, and that was sad because we sort of you sort of get attached to Mike, I think, but. Mike got himself in a very dangerous business and knew what he was getting himself into. Jane, a, a hor- horribly tragic death, uh, in part precipitated by her own actions because she uh, had had overdosed on, or almost overdosed on heroin and then was um, too blitzed to you know not asphyxiate. Um, doesn't make it any less sad, but I think it makes it a little bit less less of a sucker punch. You know, you see Andrea, this mother of young Brock, who's already been poisoned, the older sister of Tomas, who's already been killed by Gus's men. And now she's getting killed for no other reason than the fact that Jesse loves her and did not want to get into line with Uncle Jack's crew. And it's it's just super powerful. 
My yeah, my, uh, totally my best moment nomination is nowhere near that powerful, but it's just this little moment when Walt is so sick of being alone for one month, two months, three months, maybe more, uh, in the New Hampshire cabin. He's seen not a soul except for when Ed drops off newspapers and some other things. And uh, as the disappearer is about to leave, Walt asks him for just a bit more time. Afternoon of the 15th. Stay a little longer? Yeah, I got a long trip ahead of me. Two hours? I'll give you another $10,000. So $10,000 for two hours. I would absolutely say yes to that, but Ed, by the way, (laughs) says one hour. (laughs) He's having a hard bargain. Uh, If I were him, I would have said... Two hours for twenty thousand dollars. I mean, if you can just if, yeah, if Walt's just I, giving I out too. ten ten grand per hour, I mean, milk that. Come on. And uh, all he has to do is play cards, so it's not even that hard. Super easy, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a sad moment. So Walt's sitting there with the chemo drip intravenously uh, in his New Hampshire cabin with no, you know, with no uh, central heat. He's got the wood burning stove in the background there, and this is the first man that he's seen in an, at least a month. We think. And he's willing to pay $10,000 just for another hour of this man's company. Uh, I think it's just another reminder. Like, this this man is broken, and he has fallen so, so far. I wanted to ask you about, about this, too. When you watch this episode, do you get the sense when, you, when he first arrives at the cabin, there's almost this sense of, like, this isn't actually so bad. It's kind of nice. Like, it's, it's quaint. You know, you have a wood-burning stove. Yeah. You have, you have sort of a break. You know, you got a couple DVDs you could watch. You, you can imagine you could get some books and just kick back and relax, which I think is what they want you to feel when he first arrives there. But then after a couple months, you see the toll that this sort of solitary confinement is taking. And I think that's also the point because this is really like Walter White's purgatory. It's it's the it's the place and the, the actions he has to go to atone. I mean, essentially, Ed is taking him there to live out his life until he dies. I mean, that's the idea behind the whole thing. And so, in theory, Walt should just be there until one day he he can't live anymore. So I love that there's this, like, visceral, and it's this, this is one of the other things I really like about this episode. You're able to feel, I think, exactly what they want you to feel from this. Like at first, you think it's not so bad. Seems kind of nice to get away for, you know, as as a parent, wouldn't be nice. It would be nice to get away for a day, you know, just to have a little a little break to read and watch TV. But you know, when that when that continues and and for you know, lack of a better term, snowballs into this like perpetual moment of being alone. I mean, you can really see the the pain and the sort of atonement that he has to go through. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I was also thinking about how, if we contrast this with Jesse's position, they're both ultimately being held there against their will. I mean, Walt's position, he's not chained into a pit, but he is uh, he's sort of in a prison of his own making. Um, it's kind of like one of those Russian Siberian prisons too, where like you're not chained up all day, but you can't leave because the elements are too aggressive for you and you would not survive the 50 miles to the next nearest town or whatever, right? And so that's kind of Walt's situation on top of the fact that no one can see him publicly or he could, his whole cover could be blown, etc. But the thing is, like, Walt is stuck there with a ton of money and nothing to do. 
And Jesse is stuck like doing all this stuff that's making a ton of money, but he's never actually seeing a cent from it. So it's like, you know, it's the, it's the two, the two opposites in their situation that I think is interesting. Um, and yeah, that's a really good point. And both are equally dissatisfying Yeah, and miserable. Well, I think that's it. Any other nominations before we go into our nits to pick and then our MVP votes, Josh? That's everything I have. All right. What nits do you have in this episode? I've got a few. All right. I have, I have one that I picked out. So, you know, when he's going to New Hampshire and he's essentially like, we, we find out he's in the back of this, I guess what might've carried oil or gas or something. It's, it's hollowed out. Did you notice the way he was sitting when he was in there? He, he's like, so you're looking at one of those like long cylindrical tankers and Walt is sitting so that his body is contorted along the curve. In the least comfortable why, position. <laughs> yeah. Why would he not be laying down on the flat part? Like, couldn't he have asked for a pillow or a blanket or something? Like, he is in the most uncomfortable position. And when he gets out, he's like holding his back. Like, oh, this is, it's like, you did this to yourself. You did this to yourself. There was there were other options. There's nothing else in that tanker. Yeah, that's a good point. And I was also wondering, yeah, like you said, why not a pillow or some blankets? Like, that seems like, if he for, for the premium he's paying this guy to make him disappear, right, right. like, a pillow and blankets is, is some pretty, uh, some, some bare minimum. Um, but second, isn't it true that he, or weren't they saying that like they had just gone straight from New Mexico? Like, yeah. so he was in that tanker for what, 30 <laughs> hours. Like, and he looked pretty spry for being stuck in a yeah. tanker for 30 hours. That's like, a good point. I would look yeah. more frail than he did coming out of there. I think so. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. I've that got was the only need I had to pick. That's, yeah. It's a good one. I've got three. Um, one of them is this whole Lydia thing talking back to back. Like I know it's supposed to be ridiculous, but I don't like I don't know if it's plausible that she would not realize how ridiculous it looks to have these back-to-back meetings in a cafe <laughs> where they like turn around to look at each other and they're very clearly talking to each other. Um, that's pretty silly. And then second, uh, Charlie Rose, when he was on air, was a primetime and a nightly show. And I guess it's possible this was like a you know rebroadcast of a Charlie Rose interview, but it's clearly daytime when Walt is watching this. You can see this, the light streaming in behind him. And so that does not line up. I mean, you could say that like this is a, uh, you know, Vermont's at a pretty high latitude. This is like a summer, a summer night, et cetera. But it's not a summer night. We know that because there's a ton of yeah, snow it's the middle on the of winter. Yeah. So they should have made it a nighttime scene. Um, and then finally, and this is probably most significant for me, uh, when Walt calls Walt Jr. and tells him it's all the money he could fit in the box, he says it's $100,000. That's a pretty big box. And he has $11 million in that barrel. So for there to be a hundred, only $100,000 in the box and that to be all he could fit, you have to tell me that he'd be able to fit, fit the contents of 110 of those boxes into that barrel for the math to work out. So with the denominations of bills that he has there, there's no way that he would only be able to put in uh, $100,000 in there. And we've seen him give oh, people like $10,000. It's like the, it's the, little, the little bundle of money, right? We've seen that. Yeah. That's $10,000. Uh you're telling me that only 10 of those could fit into that big box of like boost or insure or whatever nutritional beverage that was. It's possible he sent them a couple magnets from, <laughs> from the granite state, a couple souvenirs. The only thing I would say is maybe, maybe it's possible that he put something else in there and like, right. To you know, fit the, yeah, exactly. Fit the money around it. But yeah. um, if you just pack that full of money, there is no way it would only be a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I like what you did there. You continued my my. Uh, you, you inspired inquiry me. into the into the mint, <laughs> the weight of things last episode. 
yeah, you inspired me. I, I wanted yeah. to do some do some back of the napkin calculations. So, all right, time for the MVP vote. I'm pretty sure I know how this is going to go, Josh, but I will pitch it to you first. Who is your MVP for this episode? Are you sure you know where it's going to go? Because I am going to go with Ed the Disappear. <laughs> wow, bold move. He he is only this is his only episode in the entire series, but. I love the role that he plays in this episode. I love that he sort of works as a mediator. He works as this sort of like, it's almost like this mythical figure. And, you know, I, I just like that he sort of plays a foil to Walt. Because if you think about him as a character, he's in a pretty, uh, pretty odd business himself. I mean, it's certainly not something you would want to... Um, certainly not something you would want to like write home about. And yet he's living a pretty nice life. I mean, like he doesn't seem to be in danger at all. He doesn't seem to have any issues. And I think that that's part of the, the, the point of all of this is that he's supposed to be sort of what Walt could have been had he been smarter in the, the choices that he made. So I like him as a foil. I like him that without him, Walt doesn't make it out of the state and Saul certainly doesn't escape, so I'm going to give him my MVP vote. I like that. That's a bold move, and I did not see coming, so well done. I'm going to go with the much more conventional expected pick of Walt. I think that uh, Walt's Walt's job in this is remarkable. Um, I already you know, talked about my best scene, best writing, but Walt drives that. We see this really egotistical Heisenberg just get infuriated that Gretchen and Elliot are talking about him in a way that he does not find to be permissible. Um, and that galvanizes him to further action. He was going to give himself up, but no longer, of course. Uh, and yet throughout, we see the brokenness of Walt. Uh, and it's a continual reminder of how much he's messed things up when he's tried to do the opposite. So I'm going to give it to Walt. That's probably the, like I said, that's the much safer pick. But I, I kind of like yours more. So that leaves anyway. Uh, Ed obviously gets his first. Ed the Disappearer. And then Walt with 32. Jesse with 28. Uh, the only others in double digits are Skyler and Hank. So we'll end it there for today's episode of Breaking Pot. Anything we missed, Josh? I think that's everything. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back next week with the final, the ultimate episode of the series. That is season five, episode 16, Felina. We've got a long summary from Wikipedia on this one. I'm looking at it now. So as we prep for that one. two minutes. Yeah, it might be a full two-minute summary. We'll, We'll bring back the two-minute summary. Well, we'll look forward to bringing that to you. In the meantime, if you want to reach out with us, something we missed, something we forgot, something you think we should have talked about, something we should talk about on our very final episode of this podcast series when we do our big retrospective recap, send us a note, breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. And until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. Have a great week. 